Welcome to another episode of Splash Together. together. Oh boy. Splash Together. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We just came from a shop where some lady was singing Christmas songs live while we were shopping. All I want for Christmas is... It was pretty intense. (laughs) Uh, but anyways, I did not like that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Harper. Will you still be working at the yarn barn? Because I hear that's a really great place to raise children. I'm Michelle. Jupiter was aligned with Pluto. The moon was in the sun. And just off, Mike is Harley, who's getting into trouble. Uh-oh. In her, her new <laughs> cat stroller. So I have lost my mind, and I got a cat stroller. Here we, we, here we are. <laughs> 2022, y'all. It's going to be great. <laughs> Yeah, Uh, (laughs) we'll leave it at that. Um, So in this episode, we are going to talk about our 2021 movie discoveries. Yes. And we'll talk about what that means in a minute. And then we're also going to do some movie goals. So, you know, kind of like like movie resolutions. Basically, what we want to do better next year as we go through this little thing called life. And we'll do... (laughs) We'll do a little check-in with last year's goals and see just how badly we, we did failed. on them. Yeah, we failed miserably <laughs> on last year's goals. It was pretty bad. Yeah. Um, but let's get into our main segment, and that is our 2020 discoveries. So what that means, the way we, de- we define discoveries, is um, these are movies that we watched for the first time this year. They're not new movies. Now, there's one in here that's pretty close to being new, but isn't. Um, so it's, you know, movies that we had either heard a little about or knew nothing about and just checked out kind of blind and then turned out to be amazing, like movies we really, really loved. Movies that we kept thinking about over and over again, long after the viewing ended. Yeah. So these are all first-time watches that kind of blew our minds. That's a good way to put it, I guess. Um, so we each picked five, and I'm going to let Michelle go first. Ladies first. I am doing mine in chronological order. Nerd. So Harper did his from like, oh, this was exciting to, oh my God, this is really exciting. exciting to most exciting (laughs) is mine, yeah. It's a countdown. Yeah, but I'm just going chronological because they're all my children and I love them equally. (laughs) You are all my children now. (laughs) Freddy style. So first up is the very first movie we watched of this year. Lawrence of Arabia. (laughs) That's the theme for Lawrence of Arabia. Uh, So this came out in 1962, directed by David Lean. A lean night. And he did a few films that we've seen. So Bridge on the River Kwah and Brief Encounter. So good. (laughs) And spoiler, we kind of like all his movies so far. Yeah, starting to become a real lean head. 
<laughs> put a shirt. Let me make you Lean a shirt head. that says that. All right. I, gotta, I think I have to watch all of his movies before I can wear a shirt like Probably. that. Um, so Lawrence of Arabia is a mighty motion picture of action and adventure, which I think that's an accurate tagline. Mm-hmm. Uh and so it's the story of British officer T.E. Lawrence's mission to aid the Arab tribes in their revolt against the Ottoman Empire during the First World War. Lawrence becomes a flamboyant mess. I can never say this Messiah? word. Messianic figure? Uh, Messianic? Yeah, that's a weird word. Sure, close enough. <laughs> Messianic figure in the cause of Arab unity, but his psychological instability threatens to undermine his achievements. So it stars Peter O'Toole, Omar Sharif, Alec Guinness, Jack Hawkins, Anthony Quinn. Um, genre, I'm adding genre for this because I'm always curious what we end up liking. Okay. Um, this listed as adventure, war, drama, history. Yeah, And this makes is based sense. on a real person, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, the things that kind of stuck out with me for this movie is definitely the, like, epic landscape and cinematography. Um, I also was really amazed. I think we had watched the remastered version and just how, Mm. like, amazing it looked. Yeah, it's gorgeous. And, like, I kind of wish we had gone. I think they re-released it for, like, Like 70 millimeters. Oh, gone to see it in theater. Yeah, and that would have been pretty epic. Um... Uh, I also, I always kind of assumed it would just kind of be like this one dimensional character, but Peter O'Toole really does a great job. It's like multi dimensions, like to his personality. I remember going into this being like, this will probably be really cool and gorgeous, but it's probably going to be real white savory. Yeah. And it's really not. (laughs) I mean, yeah, they kind of make fun of him for being, well, it's like trying so hard. (laughs) It kind of starts that way. And it's like, wow, like he really did do, you know, he's somehow able to do this. And he's very like, he's very like martyry. Like he kind of does, takes on way more than he can handle. Um, but then, yeah, it keeps kind of going back and forth between like he's also kind of losing his mind and thinking he maybe is some kind of yeah. like it's it's almost meta in that way. Like even though it's based on a true story um, about the whole white savior thing, it's like everybody around him is like, who is this guy? Yeah. You know, at a certain point, he kind of gets too big for his britches, as mm-hmm. we say. Um, it is probably one of the longer movies we've watched. 230 minutes. Yeah, I think it's the only movie we watched this year with a with a intermission. Yeah. <laughs> that's like 20 minutes on the movie too. <laughs> um so that's um, So yeah, what were your first impressions? I loved it. I thought it was amazing. Um Yeah, I was so I'm always nervous about watching these old AFI movies because I'm always like is it really going to be this great? Like everybody says it's great, but will it really be? <laughs> yeah, there's certainly been a good chunk of the afi things that have not held up for our taste yeah or uh views on women (laughs) (laughs) um but uh no this one is it really is amazing and it's um uh the cinematography is amazing the editing is really 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 good um i the only thing when i when i was i'm looking back at my review that i wrote when we watched it on january 1st literally i know you said it was the first (laughs) first of january um 
It is kind of crazy. Uh, the only reason I didn't give this movie five stars is because I think it's really stupid that they cast Alec Guinness <laughs> in that one role instead of just going giving it to a Middle Eastern actor. That's well, really yeah, because dumb. they hired Middle Eastern actors for all the other 99% roles. Ninety nine percent of the roles, but for that one, it goes to Alec Guinness. <laughs> yeah, it's like, and he's why? not pulling it I mean, off very well. <laughs> no, and I mean Alec Guinness is a <laughs> they fantastic just put, like, actor. Eyeliner on him. <laughs> yeah, but it's like why? Why would you do that when the yeah. rest of the cast is you know legitimate? It's yeah. very odd. Um, that's really the only thing that bugged me about it. But otherwise it's like, I mean, how long you say it was, it's like four hours long. Almost. Yeah. And I mean, I won't say it doesn't feel like four hours because it is an epic movie, but yeah. it, um, it's super fascinating the whole time. It's never boring. Mm-hmm. Not even a little. Yeah. I also like the kind of crazy scale this movie has as yeah. far as like sets and relocations and like, let's turn over a giant train or do they crash a train or is it already crashed? I don't think they crash them, but they, they stop a train to rob it. Yeah. Um, yeah. David Lean's got to think about trains, huh? Yeah. And then, yeah, just filming on location too. It's just like, wow, they really, a lot of detail went into making this. Yeah. No kidding. Um, minus Alec Guinness. (laughs) And historically it's really interesting too, just because that's part of the war that I don't, didn't really know very much about. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's super fascinating. Um, it's it makes me want to read a book about the real person, honestly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's amazing. I totally agree with you. I I didn't I didn't think about putting this on my list of discoveries only because it's a movie I've heard for my entire life is a masterpiece, and I've just never gotten around to it. it was, so it wasn't really a surprise to me that it was amazing. <laughs> it was a surprise to me. <laughs> but yeah, it's but, a good yeah. one. I think uh, out of. Yeah, so we already mentioned Bridge on the Roquois, Brief Encounter. We got to see Dr. Zhivago. I don't know if I want to see the other stuff, though. Uh, like I don't know. Great I, Expectations and Oliver Twist and yeah, stuff. Yeah, Dr. Zhivago, I definitely... I, bet, I think that's on Criterion, too, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. And then I was... <sighs> I really want to get that Bridge on the Roquois 4K. That movie blew me away. I was trying to think, like, is Peter O'Toole... What's his other, like, big movies... I don't know. I mean, this is the only thing I ever hear people talk about him yeah. from. That's a good question. He's in the original Casino Royale, but is he a bad guy? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. Going with Peter Sellers. Anyway, I really like his blue eyes, too. <laughs> yeah, he's a, purdy, he's a purdy man. So, Lawrence of Arabia, yeah. You'll the have trick, the themes. Mr. Potter. <laughs> so now we finally get all those references in Prometheus. Prometheus yeah, because he's obsessed as, with That's it. really the only reason we watched it. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> So um, you got music, cinematography, characters, production design. Mm-hmm. Who did the score, by the way? Do you have it up? I will. I already check closed real my, my tab. So the composer Maurice Jarre and Morris Stoloff. Huh. I don't know. Yeah, I don't recognize his names, which is funny considering it's such like I would say arguably one of the top ten most yeah, famous movie themes one of all of time. Them Worked on Eyes Without a Face and Mad weird. Max Thunderdome. Weird. <laughs> really weird. And the other one, he, um, Morris Stoloff, did a bunch of, like, old Hollywood movies that hmm. I've never heard of. Okay. Oh, some, like, some Blondie. Blondie plays Cupid. Blondie takes a vacation. Blondie has servant trouble. Weird. Blondie goes to college. What are these? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't like I think this. you have a new movie goal for the next year. All of, He had a very specific, I guess, Weird. genre movie he liked. <laughs> Lawrence of Arabia and Blondie. <laughs> Strange. 
All right, should we move on? Yep. Okay. So my first one, uh, I'm, I went with Decoder from 1984, directed by Musha. Musha. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's just a one-name thing. Um, this, uh, I mostly wanted to include this because this is the first Vinegar Syndrome thing that I bought that I actually really, really liked. <laughs> of all the ones, we've bought five or six of them in a lot of times they turn out to be kind of like, Ugh, why did I spend like $35 on this? This one I really enjoyed. And it's such an odd movie that I don't feel like I've ever heard any, I definitely have never ever heard anybody else talk about. Um, I just thought it was super interesting. So it's um, hard to describe exactly what the movie's about, but generally it's about this guy who discovers um, that he can manipulate people by putting like these weird sonic tones underneath mu- Muzak. Yeah. And then he's playing them in like, uh, Berg, like, uh, McDonald's and stuff and making people go crazy and like have riot in the streets. I think it's, I, honestly, I watched this back in, when did I watch it? Um, back in January. So I don't remember a lot of the like specific story details and it's pretty abstract anyways. Um, but that's kind of the gist of it. But, uh, the, key thing to it is that so the music is done by soft cell who is a like an 80s i guess i don't know if they're german or not actually i think but, i've heard some of their music well you know like tainted love their cover tainted love is who real who doesn't real know tainted love <laughs> yeah so that's a good one um, they did the score and the score is really cool and the whole movie has this real weird like um blue neon kind of uh dark look to it it's very cool looking i love the way it's shot um, it's, uh, I, I, like I said, I got the music stuck in my head for a long time after I watched it. The cinematography is really grimy, but colorful, which is cool. Um, and I like that, like, this is a movie where like, I'm not going to recommend this to people all the time or like make friends watch it. Cause it's pretty abstract and experimental and, um, uh, a little slow too, but it's, uh, it's real. it's exciting to watch as like somebody who works in film because it's very like full of youthful experimentation kind of stuff um this is the only one on the list by the way that you haven't seen yeah i was gonna say that so or other, <laughs> otherwise yeah that's why michelle's not chiming in i just breathe here heavily <laughs> yeah please do <laughs> um but also the main thing just the central idea about uh they call it <laughs> thank you they call it anti-muzak um uh, driving people to riot and destroy corporations and Anti-Muzak. fight the police is something that I can definitely get behind. Is it like um, elevator music? Yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, crappy pop music that they play. Um, and, uh, um, shoot, I lost what I was going to say. Uh, something about the, uh, I can't remember. I lost it. Did you say who was in it? I mean, it's a bunch of German people. Oh, no, Das Boot people? <laughs> FM you know Ein- I love Das Boot. <laughs> I don't think so. FM Einheit plays the main character, whose name is FM, and I think he was an actual musician, um, and that's why he was uh, cast in that role. Oh, I, know where, I remember what I was going to say. <laughs> is the, You know, the plot is he's causing people to, like, riot and fight the police and destroy, like, corporate buildings and stuff, and the footage of that are from real riots that were happening yeah. at the time. Like the story, this is one of those movies a little bit like, um, uh, what's the one we watched with Robert Forrester during the democratic national convention medium. Medium. Cool. Yeah, medium cool. It's a little bit like that where I think the story was kind of created around the footage they were shooting of real life stuff happening with these riots in Berlin and stuff. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, so that part of it is super interesting too, that it's, it feels very real because it is. Um, so yeah, it's a, I, this is definitely not a movie I could recognize, recommend to everybody cause it is kind of a hard watch, but it is really interesting and just kind of a really unique little piece of movies that, um, I have never seen anything like at all. So I really enjoyed it. And, um, yeah, shout out to vinegar syndrome. Finally sending me something I really loved. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's Decoder from 1984. That's my first pick. My second pick is The Devils from 1971. So this was directed by Ken Russell. Um, oh boy. Hell holds no surprises for them. <laughs> mm-hmm. A dramatized historical account of the rise and fall of Urbane Grandier, a 17th century Roman Catholic priest accused of witchcraft following alleged demonic possessions of sexually repressed nuns. This is a great, great double feature with Benedetta. Yeah, <laughs> I think. sounds like it. This is based on a true story too, right? Yes. So this is a history slash genre. Oh yeah, I have drama, my, my tags. <laughs> it's based on a true story, which was then ba- turned into a book, which was then turned into a play, which was then turned into a movie. <laughs> so it's probably, uh, what's that game? Telephone? <laughs> yeah, Some things sure have changed. Will change, but. But this stars Oliver Reed, Vanessa Redgrave, Dudley Sutton, Max Adrian, and Gemma Jones. A lot of people. Um, so uh, I remember. So when did we watch? We just watched this over the summer, and I remember thinking that this movie is intense, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was definitely an experience <laughs> um, that I wasn't going to forget. Except now I'm forgetting stuff. But uh, I think visually is what probably stood out the most to me. Because, like, the production design and everything, it's very stark and purposeful. And it's, like, this giant old medieval town they built in the middle of nowhere. it is really cool. And there's, like, lots of harsh shadows and, like, lots of white, clean lines. It's all, like, white and black kind of, like, darkness and light and evil and goodness. Yeah. (laughs) Heaven, hell. I also thought the acting was crazy good. Next level acting. Uh, yeah, Vanessa Redgrave and Oliver Reed are bananas in this movie. Yeah. Both of them are off the charts crazy in yeah. a good way. And I wrote, uh, the acting is next level. So much so, I feel like the entire ensemble actually believed they were possessed by an evil satanic priest. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> um, I also said it was extremely fast-paced for a historical drama, and I was thinking about it days after. It does move very quickly for yeah, yeah. more than I expected. This is funny to me because I really liked this movie a lot too. Um, but it's funny to me that you loved it so much because to me, this movie reminds me of two things that you really hate. What's and that? that's Yodorowsky movies. This is Ugh. just like his movies. I mean, this is, I, if, if I want, if they were speaking Spanish, I would have thought this was a Yodorowsky <laughs> movie. Definitely. The same kind of like crazy architecture playing such a big role in it and these big over-the-top performances and crazy stuff happening. It's so much like one of his movies. But also, um, man, something you just said that it reminded you of that I was like, oh, Michelle hates that too. (laughs) (laughs) I can't remember. But oh, oh no, I was going to say Oliver Reed, he's exactly like this in every Hammer movie that he's in. (laughs) He's in about a third of them. And he's bananas in all of them. He's great. He's in Gladiator. We need. To, he's weird. in a movie. He's in called, the Brood. Called I think. Yeah, he's the the therapist in the Brood um, when he's a little older. But um, no, he's in a movie called uh, I think Venom or something like that. 
that is supposed to be really crazy oh, yeah. that we need to Adam's watch. It's supposed to be really off the charts. He seems like a very uh, theatrical he English. He plays the Wolfman in the Hammer. Um, yeah, like Hammer. I could see ones. that yeah. too. He's, he's the Wolfman. <laughs> um, I mean, he is a very hairy fella. He seems hairy. <laughs> um, yeah, I love Oliver Reed. I've seen him in a bunch of the Hammer stuff, and he's always great. Um, but yeah, it's just it's funny to me that you, it was those <laughs> Hammer movies and um, and Yoda asking me two things that you yeah. are not a huge fan of, and that's that's the two things. Maybe that, it's this the movie is a perfect story, combination of them. Yeah. <laughs> Because it's very, like, social commentary on religion <laughs> uh, <laughs> and yeah. how awful All, it is. <laughs> you know, totally unlike Holy Mountain or Santa Sangre. All they do is sit around. My, my review At of least this, I got Vanessa Redgrave going bonkers, having hallucinations about Jesus. <laughs> my review of this movie starts, uh, it says, it's like a Yodorowsky film with significantly less fecal alchemy and amputations. See, it's the perfect balance. <laughs> <laughs> it's not as gross, I guess, as a, uh, as a like, medically gross. It does start gross. off gross with the plague and they're like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Boiled, dying people. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I loved this too, and I, for exactly the reasons you said. I think the set design, cinematography, and the performances are—I mean, Vanessa Redgrave, just the look she gives. Yeah, which, and she's like hunched over the yeah. whole time. Oh, it's like, so creepy, oh. and and yeah, this is—and it's a weird. What did you say this genre of this is listed as? It said history drama. Because like this is definitely one of those like borderline horror movies, wouldn't you yeah, say? Yeah, I would count it as horror. I mean, it was on Shutter for a long time for yeah. one, but yeah, a lot of Ken Russell stuff is like horrifying drama like altered states is like maybe not maybe not a horror movie that one's maybe a little hard, uh closer to horror and because it's very sci-fi too yeah um but yeah no I, I like this movie quite a bit too i liked it a lot and i wish somebody would put out a legitimate release <laughs> yeah and then also so ken russell I've only seen The Devils and the lair of the white worm i think you've I've, seen altered states yeah I think you'd like that a lot. And I've never seen it. Tommy, the movie. That's his like top four on Letterboxd. That's it. Uh, all of those are at Videodrome when we just were there. I saw them. So we should so, rent yeah, some stuff. So yeah, it's a very different. Uh, well, no. Are they different really? <laughs> <laughs> his editing is always kind of jumps out at me as very like uh, intense. Yeah. And experimental. So I, I don't remember if it is as much in The Devils, but in... Uh, Altered states, it's super like psychedelic in a really interesting Lair way. Lair of the White Worm, it is. Yeah. Like lots of Twin Peaks esque red room craziness. <laughs> do, um, I feel like there's another movie he did that I've been wanting to see. Sorry, I don't mean to like. Oh, Gothic. Mm. Uh, I feel like I've heard some stuff about Gothic. Um, yeah, and it's got Julian Sands in it. And Gabriel Byrne is the main character. Yeah, I really do want, I want to see that. It's on my watch list already, I see. Um, but yeah, agreed. That's a good one. Running with the devils. Something like that. By Ken Russell. <laughs> <laughs> All right. My number two. Let's take a, we've had some pretty serious movies so far. Let's, let's take a detour it's into silliness. the real goofy. <laughs> and that is Ishtar from 1987. Directed by our main lady, Elaine May. Hey, lady. Yes. So we finally finished our Elaine May quad, quadrula. Quadrilogy, <laughs> all four of her movies. Um, so if you haven't seen Ishtar, it is about two terrible lounge singers that get booked to play a gig in a Moroccan hotel, but somehow become pawns in an international power play between the CIA, the Emir of Ishtar, and rebels trying to overthrow his regime. So it's very much like 
dumb and dumber kind of like two goofballs that accidentally like cause like a major international incident (laughs) and they are not aware of what's going on around them most of the time. Uh, stars Warren Beatty, Dustin Hoffman, Isabella Johnny and Charles Gurdon, um, among some other folks. But, uh, and this is a movie that, um, I mean, it has like, well, oh, you, you wanted to do genre too, right? Action, comedy, adventure. I buy that. I'd say more comedy, adventure than action. Yeah. But um, this is a movie that has like a history, right? Because it kind of destroyed her career. Yeah. I don't remember. Was this one of my picks? Or did I mean, we were just going through her movies? Yeah, I mean, I think we just wanted to finish her, watching her. Yeah, but we had like, everything. all we had heard about it was like, it was supposed to be awful that... It cost a ton of money and everybody hated her after. <laughs> yeah. And I think a big, and I'm, they only did it to like, they owed her favors. Yeah. I'm so. trying to remember. I, cause I read a lot of the trivia about it after we watched it. Um, and I think a lot of it too, Warren Beatty and her did not really didn't get along. Yeah. Um, and it, I think Warren Beatty produced the movie. Like this was his thing he wanted to do. Did who, uh, who wrote it? Elaine May wrote it too. Yeah. I don't know. I can't remember what the deal with that was, but, um, yeah, there was just like a lot of high tensions on set. And then, yeah, it was like went grossly over budget. And then like the they the studio didn't want to have anything to do with it. So they just like put it out with very little marketing and it did terrible. Um, so it was like one of the like biggest, like legendarily bad box office flops for a long time. Which um, sucks because I think Elaine May was hitting her stride. <laughs> I, do, I think this is easily her best movie. Easily. And I think it's great. Well, I think with each movie of hers, we liked it more and more. I agree. And I think finally, I think this is the movie where she finally uh, figured out how to end a movie too. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. And also it's really annoying too that, I mean, there's one of the, one nice thing about doing these discoveries are movies like this one and the one and the devils is like, these are movies that desperately need like an actual Blu-ray release. Yeah. This was about to be released by, indicator i think it was indicator yeah and they had to cancel it um because something happened with like the deal with whoever owns the rights which really sucks her movies it's like all of the movies are owned by some random person like you can't find heartbreak didn't you say heartbreak kid was owned by like uh procter and gamble or something weird like that or like a gaming company it was really weird yeah it's it's something bizarre and it's like well they're not gonna put out a release right like it's really weird and like a new leaf, I don't know who owns that. Criterion has Mikey and Nikki. But oh, this is a bummer. That was, was our least favorite. I was the only one I actively really didn't like. Like New Leaf I just was didn't get it. New Leaf was funny. <laughs> it just had a really terrible ending, I thought. Uh and um Heart uh Heartbreak Heartbreak Kid. Mm-hmm. Heartbreak Kid I liked a lot. Um, yeah. I thought that was really good. And then this was just great. I mean, this is like a legitimately fantastic comedy. Like I would love to watch this movie yeah. again. Uh we were quoting stuff from it for weeks and weeks after we watched it, all the like their songs. Yeah. Telling the truth it. is a dangerous, <laughs> dangerous business. business. <laughs> Bad idea. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like Warren Beatty just being a goofball wearing like a parka all the time. Just yeah. like singing in lounges. It's hilarious. They're both really funny. Um, yeah. We, we just rewatched the trailer for it and I liked when he's like, what is this camel blind? He's like, uh, actually it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, but in our favorite part. Um, so they're, Isabella Johnny approaches them in the airport and puts Dustin, Dustin Hoffman in the airport. And he, th- he thinks that it's a man under the like, uh, Perko or whatever. Yeah. And she, to prove that she is who she says she, she lifts up 
one side of her shirt and just shows one boob. <laughs> it's so funny because it's so it's so surprising out of nowhere, and it's just yeah. so, like I don't know. It just made me laugh so hard. I thought it was hilarious. Um, but yeah, this movie's super charming, really funny, um, genuinely great, and gets like a terrible rap. So that's a real shame because um, this was a four and a half star movie for me. Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, it's. I think it's gonna get a re- uh, revival. Know, revival somehow. If they had released that Blu-ray, then I think a lot of people would have given yeah. it another chance. Yeah, it's really too bad that fell apart. That's disappointing. Support ladies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I really like that one a lot. What you got next? A little movie I talk too much about. So that's Body Heat, which mm-hmm. came out in 1981, directed by Lawrence Kasdan. As the temperature rises, the suspense begins. In the midst of a searing Florida heat wave, a woman convinces her lover, a small-time lawyer, to murder her rich husband. So this stars William Hurt, Kathleen Turner, Richard Crenna, Ted Danson, Mickey Rourke. The genre is thriller, romance, crime. Um... And I, we watched, I liked it so much, I forced you to watch it recently. Mm -hmm. And I still thought it was amazing, even though I knew what the ending was going to be. So it's definitely like a film noir. Um, But with an awesome cast, right? (laughs) Yeah. I'm curious to hear, we'll hear your thoughts, I guess. I can't remember. I mean, did we just talk about this on the podcast? Like, No, we skipped it. We did? Okay. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, I thought it was amazing. It's... um, the script in particular is like incredible. Like one of the best scripts written, I think. Yeah. Cause it's just super tight. It's really clever. It's full of great characters. Um, and just, uh, the way it builds and builds to the climax is really, really cool. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's just a fantastic film noir where, you know, things are going to go bad at some point one way or the other. And it goes bad in a very different way than you expect it to. And the ending is a great, great twist, too. Yeah. Um, that kind of changes your perspective on everything that's happened in the movie so far. Um, yeah. I mean, and it's just, yeah, the score is great. I love that it's all very, like, smoky and melancholy the whole time. Um, yeah, yeah. The only, my only thing, the only why this isn't a five-star movie for me, it's a four and a half, is I feel like... Um, I wish that the ending was just a little bit more ambiguous. Like, <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> it's like, like I'd love it if you didn't. Like, I don't want to spoil the movie, but I, I, I would love it more if you didn't know for sure if he's right or not about what yeah, she did. I would bet that's probably a studio choice. Really, should be <laughs> if they. But were what I wrote, what I wrote in my review is like, I'd like it to be more ambiguous. But if you did that, then you wouldn't get. Uh, Kathleen Turner's evil look in the last <laughs> yeah. frames of the movie, which is also great. So hard, yeah. to, hard to say, but um, so yeah. For me, I think the stuff that kind of stuck with me with this movie was definitely this is probably the one of the story driven ones that stuck with me. I was like, oh, sure. there's so many like mysteries, twists and turns, and then also I think Kathleen Turner stood out the most. She's great because she's just amazing. And this is probably like one of her first movies. Like, is isn't it? that insane? She was like 20 something. Was in she this. really that young? I think she was 26. I don't know. Maybe she wasn't too young to start off. That's still pretty young. Um, yeah, that's pretty wild. 
I didn't even actually didn't this, even this was her first movie. Wow, that's wild. That is insane. Um, yeah, so her, I think she stood out the most. I think what's his name? Uh, William Hurt. He's he's a good schmuck, yeah, <laughs> slash fool to go along with all this, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so he plays that well. I still don't understand Ted Danson's tap toeing stuff. I, think, I actually think he's really great in this. If I'm he's honest. very like I, happy to be there, <laughs> which which makes it when he kind of is the one to discover what's really happening, yeah. it makes it even like darker because yeah. he is has been real like kind of cheery up to that point. Yeah, I think a lot of the supporting cast is really good in this. It, yeah. That really helps sell a lot of it, too. And Mickey Rourke shows up. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think mostly I just kept thinking about the story over and over again and their acting. So, like, nothing really cinematic, cinematography-wise or production design was, like, driving it for me or the music or anything. It's mostly just crime thriller yeah i kind of agree i think this is of all the movies we picked i think this one probably has the best story yeah for sure a plus script (laughs) that's a really good one so body heat well actually we didn't talk about other movies he's done so i don't know what (laughs) That's that's a good question because he's done some amazing stuff but not as much as a director um um, I right after I watched this, I watched The Big Chill, which is his other like big movie that he's known for. Yuck. Um, but I ended up not liking The Big Chill that much. And it's like it's just a bunch of white people like sitting around reminiscing about high school. Like one of their friends dies, I think. Okay. Well, let me tell you a few of the things that he's written. Um, a little movie called the Empire Strikes Back, <laughs> Return of the Jedi, Raiders of the Lost Ark, The Bodyguard, uh, Solo, A Star Wars Story, Everybody Force Awakens. Everybody loves The Bodyguard. <laughs> I haven't yeah. seen it since TBS 20 years ago. So I think he's generally more well-regarded as a writer than a yeah. director. But um, but yeah, I think uh, Body Heat is certainly uh, a masterpiece. It's definitely, definitely one of the best film noirs on my list. And... I would say number one on list of like modern noirs, like stuff after like 1959 or whatever. Yeah, I haven't seen a lot of film noirs other than the ones you forced me to watch. (laughs) Did you like Kiss Me Deadly? Do you remember? Yeah. I love that one. That one and Out of the Past are really, really good. Mm -hmm. Anyways, um, yeah, I'm with you on that one. I loved Body Heat. Body Heat. (laughs) Body Heat. Next. Uh, so my <laughs> next one is Monos from 2019. Hey, Monos. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. so this is by far and away the newest of the movies um, that we... Yeah, this picked. was borderline. Although, since I think it's an international film, it is less discoverable than... Yeah. Okay, here's the way I even... Rules. The only reason I even <laughs> heard about this movie was... Back in 2019, some people on maybe on Reddit or somewhere, it was talking about best sound in, in new movies for that year. And this was on the list. And then other people chimed in were like, yeah, it's, it is. The sound is amazing in this movie. And so I watched it purely for that because I didn't really know that much about any. I didn't really say anything about the movie. Yeah. Um, Monos is 2019 is directed by somebody named Alejandro Landis. Um, it's from what country was it filmed? I'm trying to remember. I think was it's filmed it in like Argentina. Argentina? Although it's weird, the production lists like a thousand countries. It's Argentina, Colombia, Denmark, France, Germany, Netherlands, Sweden, oh, Switzerland, US, right. and Europe. South right? America. <laughs> yeah, but Definitely. I mean, it's, I mean, yeah, I don't know where all the production stuff came from. But um, 
it is the description is like so super simple. On a faraway mountaintop, eight kids with with guns watch over a hostage and a conscripted milk cow. Yeah, I get Lord of the Flies vibes, except oh, absolutely. people left them and they know they're there and they're yeah, they're not lost. It's kind of like like what would a group of kids do on their own with guns <laughs> yeah and i i wish i knew a little bit more of the like cultural context about where this takes place but basically it's like somebody has kind of put together this like small army of children and they have taken this woman hostage she's a doctor right some or a scientist I don't yeah remember. i can't remember but yeah she's taken hostage and she's british i want to say um She's the only actor in the entire cast, by the way. And it's, um, what's her name? Uh, Julianne Nicholson, who's in like, um, oh yeah, her character's name is Doctora. So I think she's a doctor. <laughs> um, she's from like uh, The Outsider and um, Mayor of Easttown, right? She's yeah. in both of those. Um, she's the HBO wife. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, basically this, this ar- army of kids is kind of watching over her and then things keep kind of going wrong and eventually they have to kind of go on the, like she escapes and they have to catch her and then they have to go on the run because they're being chased or there's kind of like a split between the gang, not gang, but the army of kids between like who should lead because their leader gets, let's say he gets in trouble and something bad happens to him. (laughs) Um, but, um, the way this movie is shot is unbelievable. Yeah. Like this is, uh, like one of the best, best shot movies I think I've ever seen. Um, like even just looking at the poster, which is like, uh, it looks like something from a dream that like couldn't be real. Like it's a silhouette of a horse and there's like this fiery looking mountain. And then behind there's this huge blue swirl of like clouds and like, that's real. Like none of, none of that is like, you know, CGI in or whatever. Like this movie is a hundred percent real. It feels very much like a Terrence Malick movie. Like there's a lot of like hyper focus on, tactile kind of stuff like feet in mud hands in the in the bushes water falling on faces there's all these like gigantic gorgeous natural landscapes that make the people seem very very small um uh it's just uh i don't know it's there's all this like lush sound design like it's just super interesting from kind of every facet that you can look at it um and it gets really really intense towards the end too it's funny i was looking at my review and everything you're saying it's like oh, i said that there and that because <laughs> yeah. i put the landscapes in this film are breathtaking and then there's intense raw performances yeah. and uh i said people will probably compare it to laura the flies meets apocalypse now oh yeah but this definitely. is a lot more modern and extra points for the sound design. <laughs> oh, thanks. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, like there's a whole segment near the end of the movie where they all get kind of washed away in this big river. And um, all of these kids are actually like they had to be trained to actually do this all like act in in this actual like raging river, like where they could have drowned. It's super intense. It's yeah. crazy. Um, this is one I definitely really want to revisit and watch again. Um, and I think is criminally underseen because I've never really heard, aside from the sound community, I've never really heard people talking about this. Yeah, and this movie's amazing. It's funny because it's like, it's been streaming on Hulu the entire time. For years, yeah. Um, but I, man, I just lost my thought. I was going to say like, ugh, I don't remember. Oh, maybe just the kids, like how great their performance. Yeah, all are. these non-actor kids. And I guess it's because like, 
Uh, so there's like some stunt type stuff they had to do, like with like the, the river, river stuff. And it's, I'm guessing it's just because they were filming in the middle of nowhere. So like the, instead of bringing in all these extra people, they just kept like, hey, we're just going to train you how to do this. Yeah. So throw, throw you in the river. <laughs> they all had training to be able to rescue each other in case something went wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Which is insane. All these like preteens yeah. uh, acting and stuff. Um the only thing I remember being confused about is the political turmoil the country's going through. So I never knew if they were on the good side or the bad side. Well, if they're they, holding people hostage. But like, are they trying to overthrow a dictatorship type thing? Or yeah. are they trying to instill a dictatorship? Yeah, it is hard to say, but whatever side they're against um, it has a habit of dropping people out of helicopters that they don't yeah. like. So, so yeah, <laughs> both sides are bad. I, think. I feel like I need to know more about that too to so appreciate. You what's got the dropping out of helicopters <laughs> versus the give kids machine guns. So, because yeah. <laughs> like if you're gonna start a revolution, like I guess. it's a pretty com- complex moral. Yeah, so that, I think that's the only thing that I was kind of lost on. Yeah, I wish I knew more about that too. Information. I agree to fully get the effect. Um, but I agree with everything you said. Did Alejandro Landis make anything else? Um, actually, I don't know. It's a good question. Let's find out. Um, he has, like he had a couple of shorts. These, are these both shorts? No, One's a documentary. Por- Porfirio is a, is a real, is a full length movie. Um, I don't know. So yeah, I wonder what's next for him yeah i don't know but uh yeah this movie's wild so it's definitely worth worth seeking out and it's easy to see it's on hulu it's been on hulu for years yep what's next um so my next pick was thief 1981 directed by michael mann this is a man movie (laughs) okay so we need a hey man no we don't no no man live without that (laughs) (laughs) um Tonight, his take-home pay is $410,000 tax-free. That's a very specific amount. Yeah, it is. That's a terrible tagline. <laughs> it's tax-free. So That's an awful tagline. <laughs> uh, Frank is an expert professional safe cracker specialized in high-profile diamond heist. He plans to use his ill-gotten income to retire from crime and build a nice life for himself, complete with a home, wife, and kids. To accelerate the process, he signs on with a top gangster for a big score. Mm-hmm. So this stars James Caan, Tuesday Weld, Willie Nelson, Jim Belushi. I don't remember Willie Nelson in this. Yeah. Okla? I don't know. Was he part of the gang? I can't remember. Tom Signorelli. Um, Dennis Farina. There's so many people in here. I don't know who to say. <laughs> anyway, and the genre is thriller, crime, action, Uh and Michael Mann has a history of making very similar man movies with this blue was, bedrooms. This is really early for him, right? I mean, I'm going to look it up. I don't remember. Well, it's 1981. Yeah. I think this was before Manhunter, I'll definitely. Sort it. I'll sort it by earliest to latest. Uh, I believe this is his first feature, maybe. These That's pretty crazy. Like, this is a good first feature. Uh, okay, it's technically not his first feature, but it's, it seems like it's his first well-known one. He did a movie about a guy in prison that uh, trained to challenge the Olympic record for running. That's weird. That is weird. Anyways. <laughs> um, so Thief 
I really liked it. So we've been watching, we've seen a, a good amount of heist movies, I think. But yeah. this one, I think, I guess maybe the music and the cinematography and everything's like dark and blue and like uh, James Caan is not your average like jewelry heist dude. Like, I don't think I would pick him as a leading man that often. <laughs> yeah. For like a thriller. He's usually a side character, I guess. Yeah. Um, I said it was a little rough around the edges, a few focused sound issues, but overall pretty fun film. I really liked the storyline with the fam or I felt like the storyline with his family was a bit forced. Um, but the heist was great. Awesome score and night scenes. Yeah, I am um, in my review of it, I said that I was slightly disinterested in the main character just because you don't know very much about him personally, but yeah. that's kind of goes hand in hand at these kind of movies. I mean, you could say the exact same thing about like drive or, you know, a lot of these kind of heist ish movies. Um, but, uh, the, the, this movie is like over the top stylish. It's so, the style is so cool. Um, and this, this is like probably boiled down Michael, a lot of Michael Mann's, um, kind of trademark things. Uh, This is like where they're condensed to uh, their height probably. Yeah. Um, you know, it's super dark. Like you said, it's super dark and, uh, and neon and grimy. But, um, uh, the one thing I really remember about this movie a lot is all these really, really cool, memorable shots. Mm-hmm. Um, like it reminded me a lot of David Fincher, actually. Um, the like impossible kind of shots where like the camera glides into the drilled hole in the safe, or, um, there's like a shot where it's like fixed on the glossy hood of a, a car, while like the lights from above slide across yeah. it and stuff. Um, there's all these really cool, like impossible ish high angle shots that are just really, really cool. Um, I mean, cool is the word <laughs> of the day for thief. this is a cool movie. <laughs> yeah. I mean the score too. Also very cool. cool. The Tangerine dream mm-hmm. score. Yeah. The so score's extra great. Points. So yeah, I mean the main thing for me in this one is just that it's like ultra sleek and cool, uh, crime movie. Yeah. Um, you know, so I would, this is probably my, man, I was going to say my number two, uh, man movie is cause heat is probably my, is one of my all time favorite crime movies. This is pretty close behind that though. I, and Manhunter is pretty well, yeah, close heat, there, and then there too. Thief, Manhunter, probably his top three. I remember loving the last of the Mohicans when it came out. I've never seen it. Um, but I really don't know if it stands up or not because it's like Daniel Day Lewis as a Mohican. Yeah, that's probably um I remember the music, everybody f- loves it. Uh but and then public enemies, I didn't know. I didn't did really like that. them any. Yeah, I didn't like it. And everyone talks about Miami Vice being yeah. action wise great. Yeah, we need to see that. I like collateral a lot too. I remember liking that quite a bit. Never seen collateral or the insider. I very much wanted wanted I've wanted to see um uh the keep for a long time. Yeah. I think that movie sounds really cool. So yeah, for me, I think this movie, it's mostly the music and the cinematography and the, like you said, cool scenes with uh, all the sparks and moody night stuff. Yeah. And blue bedrooms by the beach. I mean, can't, have, can't watch a Michael Mann movie without that blue bedroom. Uh, he probably went crazy when like LED home lights came out and he's like, oh, my bedroom can be blue everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> you, you bet he did. Yeah, he definitely has a glass bedroom overlooking a beach in every country, I'm sure. If you can find a Michael Mann movie that doesn't have a blue bedroom, I'll eat my hat. <laughs> 
So yeah, Thief. I think this is what one of the few action movies on our list. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Probably more I mean, action. More actiony than most of some of them. these other ones that like Ishtar was called action. I wouldn't say that. No. Camel action. <laughs> Blind camel action. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Thief was very close to making it on my list too. I just had a feeling you were going to also say it. <laughs> I think it's just the poster now. It is it's really awesome. It's a cool poster. That, <laughs> that definitely helps when you're trying to remember like, why did I like it? And then you look at the poster like, and you're like, oh man. Yeah. And then I think the vinyl is shiny. Yeah. Like vinyl it's this, really but cool. mirror. <laughs> yeah. It's on the list too, for, for sure. You got me, Michael, man, <laughs> with these shiny poster stuff. <laughs> So next up is a movie we've talked about a million times, and we're going to talk about it again because it's awesome. we got to say something different, though, right? <laughs> so this movie is called oh Pin from 1988, <laughs> directed by Sandor Sturd. My name is Pin. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what that was called. Uh, <laughs> all right. That should have been the one. <laughs> so... Uh, Pin is a Canadian horror movie. Canuck exploitation, really? as as they say. Its tagline is a plastic nightmare. <laughs> a doctor has a lifelike, anatomically correct me- medical dummy with muscles and organs visible through its clear skin, named Pin after Pinocchio. Via ventriloquism, Pin explains bodily functions in a way kids can relate to. <laughs> I like that. When the overstrict doctor and his wife are killed in a car crash, his son Leon transfers his alter ego into Pin, whom he always believed was alive. He starts using Pin as an excuse to overprotect his sister Ursula from admirers and deflect unwanted intrusions, even to the extent oh of committing murder. It's the longest synopsis ever. Sorry, that is kind of. <laughs> uh, stars David Hewlett, Cynthia Preston, Terry O'Quinn, some other people, and. Pin. Yeah, who plays Pin? What's his name? Uh, crap, I'm trying to find it. Oh, Jonathan Banks from Breaking Bad. <laughs> so weird. Um, well, this is definitely a discovery. Yeah, because all discoveries. I had heard on a podcast on uh, Colors of the Dark, they both hosts of that show mentioned it as one of the like best underseen movies of the uh, horror movies of the 80s. And I was like, that sounds interesting. And we saw it at Videodrome because this is another one on our list that does not have like a Blu-ray release and the DVD is very hard to find. Yeah, um, it's up on it's YouTube, like I believe. bucks on eBay. <laughs> yeah, so you can watch it on YouTube and it, I think it's actually a decent rip of it. But um, yeah, this movie's awesome. This is probably the lowest budget, hardest to find and least heard of. <laughs> uh, maybe, yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, it's just like, the weirdest horror movie. It's great because it's so uh, creepy and unsettling um, because it like, I don't know, there's so many things I like about this movie. I love that it kind of doesn't turn into a horror movie until like halfway through the movie. Like it's just this movie about this weird family and this weird anatomic doll. Yeah. And it's just like these kids are, I can't tell if these kids are either really messed up or uh, really um, like the parents are really progressive about talking to them about like sex and stuff when they're really young. Uh, the need. The need, as they call it. Yeah, which we've been saying constantly since watching this movie last summer, this summer. Um, yeah, these, uh, do you still get the need, Ursula? <laughs> it's so weird. Um, yeah, I like this movie so much. Michelle got me the book and I read it over also in October. The book had the creepiest cover and I was like, well, I have to get this. Yeah, the book is, the book is even <laughs> crazier than the movie, but not yeah. as good as the movie. 
This movie left me unsettled <laughs> for so long. I mean, we watched the movie and we were dying laughing and just being like, well, that's holy what it was like. S-H-I-T. Constantly <laughs> while we were watching it. Yeah, it starts off like, okay, this could totally be a cult classic. It's funny, enjoyable. Oh, it's ridiculous. He's crazy. And then it's like, he writes this poem about like maybe... Uh, he's like assaulting his he's sister. He's like, this is the first time yeah. when the main character contemplates rape. Yeah, you're like, oh, whoa, whoa. <laughs> as he has like <laughs> saying it to his sister is like, oh my, like he's mentally needs help asap. Like <laughs> he needs a therapist now. <laughs> but I love the other thing that's so weird. Like the the concept is so weird, and all of it is so unsettling and strange and borderline ridiculous. But it's also kind of handled really seriously. Yeah. Like it treats mental illness in a very, in a much more like medical and like uh, empathetic way than most horror movies, than mm-hmm. almost any other horror movie does. And also I love that it never, it always kind of flirts with the idea that, of the supernatural, but never, never gives into that compulsion. Yeah. Like we've seen a million movies kind of like this where i mean uh the pit is a good example where like the the bear is talking to him and then of course they have to show one scene where the bear moves and you're like yeah. the bear is alive and it's but like, then they never but come not. back to it um, yeah. <laughs> but this movie never does that like there's always hints that like is he but then it's like no it's a mental illness thing <laughs> yeah but like that scene when the parents crash because the doctor keeps looking in the rearview mirror and seeing pin and he yeah. thinks pin might be moving <laughs> but he's not is so great well, and then also you get the like famil- family stuff too, where like the dad realizes something serious is wrong with his son. And that's why he's taking Pin away because he wants to help his son. Right. And, and then that obviously doesn't work. Well, he dies. Die. Yeah. <laughs> but then like his sister takes on that role too. And it's like, how far is too far sometimes well, it's to like, help your loved ones? Yeah. Well, and it's super interesting too, because yeah, she goes to all these lengths to like try and help him. Keep and, the fantasy alive. For right. Him. Like she has yeah. a new boyfriend and she's like, I know this is super weird, but my brother talks to this doll. And he if you can just voice, pretend yeah. like it's, you know, <laughs> like it's a real person. You know, I don't know how to deal with this quite yet. And he's like, uh, he belongs in a mental yeah. <laughs> uh, hospital. She's like, well, I can't take him away from the house and whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's just, yeah, it's really kind of, it's almost like kind of heartbreaking, even though it's bizarre. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this movie's awesome. And then the awesome. ending, my God. <laughs> oh, the ending's so good. It's got a great like circular yeah. framing device too. Uh, yeah. It's all just so crazy. Um, so yeah, this is like highest recommendations uh, i definitely i want i'm dying to watch this movie again uh and i'm really dying to, to force to people to watch it with us yeah this <laughs> but is a, i don't know how they would feel <laughs> yeah i don't know but it's super crazy and yeah. we we love pin to death it's a great one <laughs> what you got oh yeah what's your what's your last one uh, my last movie is a horror movie so that is dead well i guess it's horrorish yeah dead and driving 1986, directed by Brian Trenchard Smith. There's a party every day, a movie movie every night, and all the junk food you can eat. What more can a kid want? Except to to get out. Ah, That's a weird tagline because they're not really kids. No. Well, I guess they're teenagers. (laughs) Yeah. In the near future, drive-in theaters are turned into concentration camps for the undesirable and unemployed. The prisoners don't really care to escape because they are fed and they have a place to live, which is, in most cases, probably better than the outside. 
Krabs and his girlfriend Carmen, Krabs? I forgot his name is Krabs, yeah. are put into the <laughs> camp and all Krabs wants to do is escape. I think this was uh, another Aussie one, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is why I want to know what was going on in Australia in the mid 80s. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> this is this and Mad Max. This is like out. right before Mad Max, I is think, it? takes off. No, I'm like uh, thinking like Australian oh, in, horror. In like, yeah. This, like, yeah. <laughs> in this as, fake as alternate universe. history. Yeah. This is like, uh, well, it's like, D- during it had to the, have been with gas during the first yeah. Mad Max. Yeah, there was yeah. probably like a recession, and gas was like everybody needed it, and mm-hmm. it was causing all these inflation. So it's like, oh, two movies like kind of approaching it, yeah. <laughs> similar veins. Yeah, this would be a great double feature with Mad yeah. Max, with either Mad Max or Road Warrior, both. Yeah. So this genre is science fiction, action, horror. Only sci-fi in that it's like apocalyptic, borderline futuristic. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this movie was probably, it's definitely one of my top 80s horror apocalypse films we watched for the year. Did you say what it was about already? Uh, yeah, I read Okay, sorry. Crabs. Oh, right. Yeah, crabs. Yeah. Um... So, weird. so I've we've been watching a lot of Australian horror movies. Mm-hmm. I think this one stuck out the most to me. Yeah, because it it feels very smart the way that it tackles like prison systems, immigration, mm-hmm. unemployment, and then also the setup is just super simple. And it's such like a dry humor comedy where it's like the main character is like, "Oh, I need to leave," and the guy's like, "You can't leave." Like, but I gotta go. Well, you can't. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like back and forth. Like, you can't leave. There's it's no. It's very leaving. much like somebody yeah. arguing in an unemployment line. Yeah, kind of thing. Like, well, nope, that's not how it works. You got to go fill out form seven stroke. Yeah, B or whatever. Well, yeah, and like they kind of get stuck there because someone steers steals their tires, and like, well, you can't leave to get new tires, and you can't steal someone else's tires, so you just have to sit here indefinitely. Yeah. Um, and then uh. I also we I think we watched it on Blu-ray, right? I don't know if it was restored or something, but it, I thought it looked great too. Yeah, it looks really good. It's an arrow. Lots line. of neon and stuff. Um, yeah, I totally went into this thinking like, oh, this is just gonna be about like punk gangs hanging out at this drive-in, like yeah. whatever. Because we've watched a lot of movies about like punk gangs, and a lot of them have not mm-hmm. really resonated with me. Um, but uh, yeah, it's way more Mad Max and way more. Uh, politically, uh, s- like social political commentary that you did not expect from a movie with such an odd concept. Yeah. Um, it feels very relevant. Yeah. Uh, where they're basically like rounding up all the kind of undesirables and like. There's a whole white supremacist scene yeah, too. <laughs> there's a lot of like, you know, dealing with racism and like the main characters, like, oh my God, my girlfriend has become like a KKK yeah. member, basically. <laughs> Whatever like, that is how did for that Australia. Happen? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like just very gra- not gradually, not even that gradual. It's pretty quick. Yeah, how everybody devolves into these like racist and like horrible. Well, also groups. just like we're not going to be the lowest on the totem pole. We're right. going to make sure this other group of people yep. are always at the bottom. Yeah, I mean it's weird. It's like a prison movie, but not you know yeah. in a drive-in movie theater. It's so strange. <laughs> um, but ton- tons of like kick-ass explosions and car chases and Aussie punks saying stuff like. All we're trying to say is stop acting like a turd. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, which I think we used as a quote when we talked about this movie originally. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was, this was, this is definitely uh, fits in that discoveries category because this is a movie I had 
pretty low expectations for it and walked away thinking it was pretty great. Yeah, I only heard about it because I think the Plaza or Videodrome yeah, played it like and we couldn't showing. go or didn't feel safe going. Um, or they might have showed it at the drive-in. It was like, <laughs> I can't cool. remember what the deal was. Yeah. yeah. So that was the only reason why it like popped up on my radar. And it's like, well, I finally want to watch this and see what the fuss is Yeah, I think Kyle had watched it and said it was really good, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so this is insane. This guy has directed 44 movies. Wow. Anything we've seen? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. He, <laughs> no. He did Leprechaun 3, Leprechaun Whoa. 4 in space. Whoa. <laughs> Turkey Shoot, BMX Bandits, Night of the Demons 2. Uh, I've heard of that one. The Man from Hong Kong, Frog Dreaming. <laughs> Frog Dreaming? What is that? There, This is like the craziest amount of movies I have never heard of. <laughs> Atomic Dog. That looks fun. <laughs> Frog Dreaming is about a, a kid, an American kid that lives in Australia who uh, is coming across strange events associated with the aboriginal myth about frog dreaming yeah boy i want to watch that it starts henry thomas all right <laughs> this is going on the watch list right now there are so many movies it's insane i think he just wow. was like all right i'll do whatever <laughs> this is crazy man atomic dog yeah, yeah. aztec rex did you say that one <laughs> aztec rex some of these are what is hospitals 2000s? don't burn down I exclamation point that might i think that was one of his earliest ones. oh it might be like a tv thing it's only 24 minutes long <laughs> wow this is crazy yeah porkies he made a movie seven years ago called drive hard <laughs> uh wow man so weird anyway that's we've only seen this one movie but i don't this could be his like diamond in the rough mm -hmm. hard to say <laughs> Uh, Not as anyway. popular as the Leprechaun sequels. Yeah, so I really love Dead and Driving, um, and it stuck with me. So I would definitely rewatch it again. Yeah, I, I would too. I mean, I think we bought it after, you know, pretty recently yep. after we watched it. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I thought it was great. Uh, my last one <clears throat> is uh, Body Parts. From 1991. And I don't want to go into like too much detail because we talked about this pretty recently. Yeah. But this was one where we both watched it and we're both like, oh my God, this is amazing. Um, so Body Parts, let me uh, let me uh, tell you a little bit about Body Parts. It's from 1991, directed by Eric Red. Um, the transplant was a success. Then the donor came to take it back. <laughs> a criminal psychologist loses his arm in a car crash and becomes one of three patients to have their missing limbs replaced by those belonging to an executed serial killer. One of them dies violently and disturbing occurrences start happening to the surviving two. So it's Jeff Fahey, um, Lindsay Duncan, Kim Delaney, uh, Brad Dorf. Um, yeah. So basically, uh, it starts as like this very grounded movie where this guy is like, he's a criminal psychologist who he's trying to figure out like what causes uh, serial killers to go crazy. It's very mind hunter actually. Yeah. Um, and then on his way to work, he gets into this like insane car crash, which that was the moment I'm yeah. like, this might be something special <laughs> because the car crash is 
bonkers. Um, and the extended yeah, I was about to say, scene is even crazier. The the original <laughs> cut of that car crash is even more insane and gory and nuts because he like flies through the windshield and his, his, his arm, arm is like, gets severed and right falls off. next to him and it starts twitching yeah. in front of him as he realizes it's his arm. But I think what the main thing I love so much about this movie is that it starts as this very grounded like movie about this guy recovering from this like horrible accident. Yeah. And then slowly becomes like, um, uh, I'm trying to think of a, a movie to even compare it to, like just like this, almost not not Sam Raimi, but like almost like that level of like cartoonishly crazy. Yeah. By the end, it becomes very much like Saturday morning super villain at the end, which is so crazy. Um, and it's just and it's super gory, and uh, the effects are really great. And honestly, I think this might be my favorite Frankenstein movie. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, it eventually kind of becomes a Frankenstein-esque story. Um, yeah. I mean, everything about this is just like amazing. It's, I mean, it's a little bit like Pin in that it like rides this perfect line between like you're laughing at it because it's ridiculous and crazy, but also like it's not so crazy that it's like stupid. It's... It- it has that 90s like drama action mm-hmm. to it where like it is ridiculous but it's so enjoyable you don't even care how unrealistic it can be. Yeah. <laughs> like Dante's Peak. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I could, I could see it compared to that. Yeah. Um so Eric Red has also directed uh Bad Moon, which has been on my uh shutter watch list forever. I've just never gotten around to it. Um Cohen and Tate. This looks like a cop movie from the late eighties, maybe mismatched hitmen, <laughs> a thriller movie. Uh, anyways, see, so yeah, I haven't really heard much about his other stuff, but, um, I'd heard body parts was really cool. It's on screen factory and we were like, let's check it out. And it's totally, it was worth the wait. Cause I've been wanting to watch it for years. Yeah. Um, uh, I loved it. This is one I yeah. would love to watch at a Halloween party. Cause I think it would go over really well. Yeah, we're just going to force everyone to watch Pin and, Pin body, and body Parts. parts. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's definitely, that's probably my favorite Discovery of the Year. Favorite, partially probably because it was the most recent one that we watched that was like, that went on this list. Yeah. Um, so yeah, those are our big our big 10. We also had a bunch of honorable mentions. Um, we have uh, Deerskin, which we talked about at the beginning of the year. That was that crazy... Quentin, you love the way I say his name. Quentin Dupiex. It's not Dupiex. How do you say it? It's like Dupuy. Dupuy. Dupiex. Say it like you're French. Dupiex. There's no X. (laughs) Uh, Deer skin about the guy with the crate who's obsessed with his deer skin. I can't believe this wasn't on your list, but did you only not pick it because it was a new release? Yeah, it came out in 2020, and we and we saw it like January 3rd. But nobody talks about it. True. It's amazing. It's way better than rubber, or you know. Anyways, Deerskin's awesome. Uh, the Foul King, that one with Song Kang-ho where he was a, like a wrestler. Yeah. Was really good. Experiment Terror, really cool black and white thriller, crime thriller. Uh, the Silent Partner, that was one of the ones you picked that I, I'm surprised didn't show up on your list. I liked it a lot. All I can remember is uh, Christopher Plummer's mesh tank top. You don't remember. Um, <laughs> what's the guy, what's the main guy's name? Um, the actor? Oh, God. See, I, yeah, I was like, I did like it, but now Elliot I can't Gould. remember anything. Uh, you remember Elliot Gould coming home and finding a woman's head in his fish uh, tank? Yeah, that was Yeah, it's, a, it's just a super tense crime movie. I mean, we talked about it on the podcast before, yeah. but it's really good. Um, 
Dream Home, we talked about recently, really cool Chinese slasher. The original Invisible Man was a really good one that really surprised me. How yeah, much that I liked one it. stood out a lot to me. I almost put it on the list because, like, although it's not like, oh, I discovered this movie, it's like I finally got around to watching this movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we're diving into Universal Horror. So finally, yeah. probably find some other cool stuff. Um, Deep End was another really good one by the, the guy who yeah. did The Shout. Um, What's the shout? <laughs> oh boy. Well, let's not get into that again. Uh, what was this one? Bo right. Travail is a, a lady directed movie um, about some, the French, oh, what is it? French Foreign Legion. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you yeah. told me about it. It's this like a, a boring war training camp movie, all about masculinity and probably homophobia. Stuff like that. Sounds thrilling. <laughs> the way you describe it as a boring war movie. No, I mean like, you know, like Jarhead. Like they're all bored. Oh, like they're oh, just okay. going through their daily routines, like Got it. training and blowing off steam. Yeah. yeah. Not like it's boring. Okay, I see. <laughs> um, and then we also like The Haunting. Yeah, that was another great one. The Haunting and The Uninvited were both like yeah. classic black and white horror haunted house movies that were really cool. Yeah. Um, the straight story was another one I really Boo. liked. Yeah, you weren't as crazy about that. All right. <laughs> Anyways, what, um, what be? <laughs> if you be, what be? Um, yeah. So those are our kind of favorite discoveries of the year. That's always one of my favorite things. Discoveries are way more exciting to me than like best of the year, which we'll we'll still do. But well, um, we kind of do that when we talk about the Oscar nominations. Yeah, I mean, because we'll, it's like, well, I like this, and I thought this should have won. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll get to that stuff too. But the discoveries are really exciting because it's movies that like it can you be know, anything, and it's not by like you know, it's not like the newest Marvel movie or the newest <laughs> Paul Thomas Anderson movie or what. It's not something yeah. giant and new that shiny. But this is something that's maybe like a little more unknown. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so those are our discoveries. So now Yay. we'll move into our little mini segment. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Hey! Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Okay, so now we're going to talk about some movie goals movie slash resolutions. movie resolutions. Um, so I think it's smart to start out with last year's resolutions because slash this year. I mean, yeah, for this year, <laughs> uh, particularly because um, mine are probably going to be exactly the same because I failed at all my resolutions for last year. Yeah, I might have too. Um, so last year, we both had these. Sh- first of all, we had we did three goals. Uh, we shared our first goal, which was we both wanted to finish the AFI top 100 movies. Uh, how'd we do on that goal? Survey says. I still have eight left to watch. <laughs> uh, which is exactly what you had yeah. back in January when we did our movie goals. All I watched was Lawrence of Arabia this year. Uh, where are these lists on our stats? Oh, you have to all look time. at all time stats, right? Um, the problem is everything that's left just... Does not appeal to me. Yeah, I mean, this is exactly what happened in Jan- when we talked about it back in January. We were like, 
Yeah, we put off a lot of the really kind of ones we were not looking forward to as much or whatever, and here we are. I'm still, yeah. as there's still 13 I need to watch. I just do not think I'll, like, enjoy Yankee Doodle Dandy. All right. Yeah, last year, <laughs> to quote you, you said, I don't know what a Yankee Doodle Dandle <laughs> is, and I don't know if I want to find out, <laughs> is what you said. What is a Yankee Doodle Dandy? <laughs> um, you say which ones you have left, and then I'll add the ones that I have, too. Because right. this is still my goal for this year because I feel like a garbage person for not watching <laughs> these 13. We watched hundreds of movies this year. Yeah. We couldn't watch Can't these 13, 13 movies. I have Grapes of Wrath. That's on mine too. Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Yep. Although I've seen that before, but yeah. A Streetcar Named Desire. Yep. D.W. Griffith's Intolerance. That's going to be unbearable. I can't well, even yeah, imagine. Yeah, let's see this racist movie. Sure. Uh, a Night at the Opera. Swing Time, Yankee Doodle Dandy, and yep. Ben-Hur, which, oh my God, I'm so sick of these epic, like, Roman movies. I confuse all of them. Did you watch A Night at the Opera without me? No, I said that. Oh, sorry, I missed that. Uh, yeah, I have all those, plus Ben-Hur, Bringing Up Baby, Spartacus, and I'm never watching Spartacus for the rest of my life. Uh, uh, Gone with the Wind and Casablanca. Casablanca bringing up baby will not be that bad. And Miss Smith goes to watch it and it'll be fine, I'm sure. I've seen that before. Because uh, bringing kid. up baby is just like Catherine Hepburn comedy. Casablanca, you just have to watch because it's a f- one of the best movies of all time. And neither of the <laughs> opera will probably be fine. Like, I, did, I wasn't super crazy about. um. What was the other Mark Smith movie we watched that was on this like list? Duck Soup or something? Yeah, I think it was Duck Soup. That was okay. It wasn't my cup of They're tea. They're not but my, it was fine. my cup. Of, yeah, <clears throat> my guys. Um, but yeah, so many of these. I mean, I have 13 movies, but they're probably like 40 hours of movies. Yeah. Because <laughs> most that of these intolerance are. Intolerance movie. Like, Gone no. with the Wind and Intolerance are both super long. How long is Intolerance? Let's see. It's almost, it's what, three and a half hours. Silent movie mm-hmm. by D.W. Griffith, who is known for Bring, Birth of a Nation. Back to KKK. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Like, why is this Thanks, on our AFI. List? Yeah. So I'm not looking forward to that one. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I really would like to try and finish this list just so we can have a damn podcast about it yeah. <laughs> and say we're done with it. But yeah, this has been our goal for like three years running, and we've we we watched exactly one movie out of the ones we needed to watch, and we watched it on January first. Yeah. We watched Lawrence of Arabia. It was the only one the entire year we watched. <laughs> Whoops! So don't check that one off the list. We didn't Mm-mm. finish it. Um, uh, your second goal for last year was to have uh to watch more female filmmakers, movies by female filmmakers. How'd you do on that goal? It's annoying because I feel like I've been doing really well. But when I look at like the on Letterboxd, there's like a female director list. Yeah. And I barely have gone up. Like I'm only at 25%. Hmm. And I know I have watched a ton of lady movies this past year, but I guess maybe their movies just aren't on this list. And or they change or they the keep list. Changing. They probably yeah. update the list to include newer movies a lot. Because, like, this past month, I probably watched, like, five new ones from this list. But it's like, how is it still only 25%? <laughs> so, I think I'm doing okay. I think okay. last year you were at 23%. Yeah. 
So that probably means I watch like seven movies. No. Um, where is that list? Let me find it. See where I'm All at. Time stats. Uh, it's under the list progress. Oh, top 100. I'm at 27%. Yeah. Um, so... Which probably because I watched some movies that I'm about to talk about as part of one of my other ones. Yeah, I don't know if there's a way to look at just lady directors for 2021. Probably not. I doubt it. Um, but yeah, I'm not doing amazing. It's just going to be a slow progress, I guess. Yeah, I mean, sadly, it's hard to find these. And because a lot of the movies we're like excited to watch and stuff, there are a lot of dude directors out there. Makes yeah. it hard. Um, my second goal was to watch the entire Agnes Varda box set, which I was doing really well on for a little while. Yeah. Um, and then it kind of fell off because I watched one that I really didn't like. Um, I've watched, God, I didn't actually look to see, I think I watched like seven or eight of the like 20. Mm-hmm. So it's not bad, but I didn't even make it halfway for sure, which is sad. Um, sad, <laughs> sad face. Um, so, yeah, I didn't do so well on that one. But I did watch a bunch of them, which is why my women in film, women directed movies uh, numbers higher than yours because I watched like four of, yeah. four of her movies that are on there probably. Um, but, uh, yeah, I would, I mean, I was, aside from the one I really didn't like, I was really enjoying watching them. So I need to get back on that. And so that's going back on this year's list. <laughs> um, your last uh resolution was to have more diverse director and actor stats how'd you do on that i'm doing okay like obviously we still have like a week or two left of the month mm-hmm. yeah we're gonna it's watch a lot of as, movies this week yeah it's not as bad as last year like i actually do have more diverse directors um like elaine may is in there mm-hmm. and park chan book bong joon ho james wan the problem i may have the wachowskis they'll probably bump up to if we watch like bound and the new matrix yeah we need to watch Bound. um but there are still a lot of white people and i think the mm-hmm. actors is where it really sucks because like if you watch one franchise that has this uses the same characters then like you're screwed chucky. yeah like chucky and lord of the rings and the matrix is like all white people all the time or like I watched all the Conjuring films, so Vera Farmiga, uh, Farmiga is like yeah. popped up. <laughs> well, and like it's good that we're doing this, looking at our resolutions and stats now because we're probably about to watch all the old Spider-Man movies to yeah. get ready to go see the new one, and uh, <laughs> that's going to wreck our curve for Sam Raimi and Tobey Maguire. Yeah. And all of them are going to be way higher up than a lot yeah. of these. So, so acting wise, my only like ray of sunshine is Sung Kang Ho. He's uh, he's number two. Behind Brad Dorf, who is okay. in everything. <laughs> so wait, tell me your like, tell me your top ten directors. What you got? Directors As, according to what Letterbox says. Brian De Palma, George Romero, Peter Jackson, Elaine May, Richard Linklater, Park Chan Wook, Bon Joon Ho, John Carpenter, William Girdler, and James Wan. William Girdler, it's so weird. But yeah, it's like a, why I don't know why There's William Girdler and James Wan like they have three films each, but so do the next like seven people, uh, like where three of those Lee, are women, like Lee yeah. Janiak who did uh, the Fear Street yeah. movies and the Wachowskis that we watched three movies of. Yeah, that so is like they, I don't know how they prioritize who gets. Yeah, they're not the top. alphabetical. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what or maybe it's what you watched most recently. Or popularity. I, I, yeah, I, I really well, that can't be true. How Girdler ahead of. <laughs> Wes Craven, you know? Like, no that or maybe sense. it's like my highest rating, but yeah, I don't maybe. know. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. 
So, I want to find out Letterboxd. Yeah. <laughs> so my top 10 directors are Agnes Varda, uh, George Romero, Elaine May, Brian De Palma, Park Chan-wook, Wong Joon-ho, John Carpenter, Peter Jackson, Paco Plaza, and William Girdler. Yeah. Um, so I, got I think mine will two, change two ladies, a bit. Yeah. Two ladies and two non-white men. Um, so that's If I want to keep start. Elaine May, I'm going to have to watch that documentary she made. Yeah, you, bet, you better get on it. <laughs> um, what about your actors? How's that look like? Oh, God, mine's awful. Yeah, it's Lord Ooh. of the Rings. Uh, Brad Dorf, Song Kang-ho, Keanu Reeves, Hugo Weaving, Christopher Lee, Vera Farmiga, Samuel L. Jackson, Pierce Brosnan, Elijah Wood, and Sean Astin. Lord mine's, of the Rings and Matrix. Yeah, mine's pretty similar. <laughs> Brad Dorf, Christopher Lee, Song Kang-ho, Hugo Weaving, Keanu Reeves, Peter Cushing, Elijah Wood, Sean Astin, Lawrence Fishburne, and Javier Botet. Um, yeah, but I it sucks to, because uh, those last ones are four films and right underneath that with also four films, I've got Jackie Julie Delphi, Chan. Sigourney Weaver, yeah. Clarence Williams III, Jamie Lee Curtis, Tony Todd, uh, Shin Hakyun, uh, Carrie Ann Moss. Like all those people yeah. have the same amount yeah. and they're not, it's only the white <laughs> dudes instead that have the same amount. Like, damn it. Yeah, because if I kept going, I'd also have Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Chan, Julie Delphi and Francis McDormand and Clarence Williams III. Mm-hmm. And a bunch of other white dudes. Do you have Tony Todd on yours? Cause his, no, I don't understand why. His picture is like weirdly close to his face, like it fits in the circle. And Will Patton too, they're right next to each other in mine. They look really funny. Look at this. That is weird. It they're just like looks like their heads in. are floating on the page. Anyways. Uh, so yeah, so we didn't do terrible on that one, but mm-hmm. we didn't do as well as we would have liked maybe. So that's something to keep working on too. Yeah. Um, and my goal, I actually need to pull up this list. My, my last goal was to watch, um, more movies that we own because yeah. we have so many, uh, that we've never watched. Um, and I don't know where I was at last year, but I did make a list somewhere. I don't know if I'm able to find this without scrambling around, but, um, of like movies we owned and you know, it'll tell you like the percentage that we've watched. Um, and, uh, yeah, I feel like we did better this year. Okay. Here's the list I made when I made that resolution. Um, it was owned movies to watch, uh, that I wanted to watch as of January 22. And I've watched 17 of them. So that's not terrible, mm-hmm. but it's 17 out of 134. <laughs> so, yeah. And we've bought like, you know, 40 movies this year, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Although a lot of those we've seen before. So, but yeah, a lot of them are criterions and a lot of them are the, from the Agnes Varda set and stuff like that. Or like the Star Trek movie collection that I've never seen a single one of. And we have the entire collection, you know, stuff like that. So I need to, um, I'd still like to, I mean, I feel like I did better with that. Um, especially around Halloween, I was trying to really watch a lot of the horror movies we own that I hadn't seen, but, um, yeah, I would like to keep on that. So for me, for my part, honestly, my goals are exactly the same. The only thing I would change is, um, in addition, just because, you know, I want to make my failure even more spectacular next year, uh, is on top of the Agnes Varda box set, I'd also like to watch all of this folk horror box set I just got from Severn that I'm super excited about, the um, All the Haunts VRs box set. So that's another, like, 20 movies or something. Um, we'll see how that goes. Agnes Varda is still the priority there. But, um, yeah, I want to finish the AFI, watch those box sets, and watch more of the movies that we own because we have like probably 150 movies that I've never seen. Yeah. How about you? You going to update your resolutions at all? Yes. I'm going to finish this stupid AFI list. If it kills us. I'm going to continue with my female filmmakers. Uh-huh. 
But I have two new ideas. Can I ask you a question before you say that? Yes. Do you have any particular female filmmakers you want to look into this year? No, all of them. Uh, what's I'm that? just going through the list, really. Yeah, I mean, that's true. I was trying to remember, um, there's one that I always hear about, but I've never seen any of her movies, and I'm looking it up now. Uh, she did, I think she did a movie called Wings of Desire. That's what I'm looking up. Oh, my God. <laughs> no, that's Wim Wenders. Damn it. I'm blanking on who it is. Anyways, go ahead. Um, I want to watch more movies. So Letterboxd has a world map. I want to fill in more of the world map of countries we have not seen movies great from. Goal. Yeah. I don't know how many are actually available, but like Finland. I've apparently never seen no movies from Finland, which I find odd. That is surprising, actually. Um, so I want to kind of fill in like I'm pretty good on I'm getting close to South America. That um that box set, the folklore box that has some movies from different countries. Uh, I think it's got some Polish and some, uh, and an I Icelandic. I really need to see a North Korean movie. Well, I've seen Icelandic films. Um, when, anytime you want to watch Polkasari, <laughs> I am down. Um, the director I was trying to think of in the movie was Wings. The director is Larissa Shep, uh, Shepitko. Mm. Um, I know she has like a little Criterion box set that's always seemed really interesting to me. She's a Ukrainian director. And then my other, I don't know if I'll actually stay with this but also on Letterboxd you have all the films you've seen by year and maybe watching at least one film from all the years I don't have one yet but that's a lot of old stuff so like my my first film is 1902 okay but then I have like nothing from 1903 up to like 19 what's the most recent year that you've seen no movies for I wish to, I could make it bigger. Yeah, I know. It's kind of hard to <laughs> see, isn't it? And it's hard. Sometimes they don't like highlight. I think it's uh, 1930. Um, oh, wait, here we go. For me, it's uh, 1938 is the is the l- latest year that I've seen <laughs> no movies. Um, yeah, interesting. What's this? What did I see in 1938? Mm-hmm. I saw Bringing Up Baby. You'll get uh, there. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> 1902, I think it's Trip to the Moon. Oh, yeah, that that tracks. Um, Yeah, I agree. That's a good goal, too. I'd like to beef up some of those lower years a little bit, for sure. Yeah, because, like, like anything past, like, the year 2000, it's just like, you've watched, like, 500 films from this year. 80s, too. Like, I've seen 53 movies from 1988 alone. Yeah. So, it's definitely, like, on a weird curve. I'm going to upset the curve. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that'd be nice to to see some older stuff too because I would say at least 40 to 50% of the time, really much older movies that we end up watching, we end up really liking and mm-hmm. being like, that was a lot more modern and surprising than I thought it would be. Yeah. Um, not always the case, but, you know, a fair amount of the time we're pleasantly surprised by it. So yep. I think that's a good goal. Um. So yeah, we'll see if we do better, any better this coming year of 2022 than we did this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I think our, well, I mean, I don't know. We're not really gonna talk about like our full stats or anything. We might do that at a later point, but I feel like I did. I watched significantly less movies this year than in 2020. Um, well, yeah, for semi-obvious lost reasons, our mind maybe. Last year. <laughs> yeah. 2020 was pretty crazy. Well, I find it funny that we're like, we'll just slow down this year and it's still probably an insane amount oh, it's compared still a lot. to most. Compared to the average <laughs> goober, it's, yeah. uh, it's still like ridiculous. I'm sure most people think we're insane. 
Um, but yeah, uh, yeah. So I mean, maybe we that's like five movies yesterday. <laughs> we did. We did watch five movies yesterday. We'll talk about that in an upcoming episode. Yeah. Um, but anyways, uh, yeah. So uh, 2012 was an interesting year for movies, and hopefully this coming year we'll be able to tackle our goals. We'll be a little bit. We should be a little bit more uh, motivated and dedicated to getting them done. Because I would love to actually do this podcast next year and not be like, yep, here we are again. Whoopsie daisy. (laughs) Still got to watch Intolerance. I want AFI to update their list so I don't have to watch any of the stuff we have left. Here's why I want to do the AFI list so we can have our podcast on it and we can put it, as the kids say, put AFI on blast (laughs) for all their terrible picks. I don't think any kids say that anymore. Uh, Well, I do. Um, because I I would say at least twenty five percent. We're gonna of their cancel list, the AFI. Twenty five percent of their list is ridiculous, and the movies yeah. are not good and are not historically relevant. That's weird. I think they only put intolerance on there because they're they're too too cowardly to put Birth of a Nation on there, and but too too stupid to just not include him at all. Yeah. So I don't know. Um. Well, after we finish AFI, we can start a uh, BFI. Yeah, or uh, or Edgar Wright or Guillermo del Toro's list. I don't know how I feel about Edgar Wright. Why does he have a list? Like know, just because he's a cinephile, has I an insane collection have a of movies. Good collection. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, I think we should wrap this one up. Um, oh, I meant to say, twenty twenty one goals <laughs> failure. Oh well. <laughs> We did our best. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. So we're going to leave you guys there. That's it for this episode. But don't forget, you can always see a list of all the movies we talked about on our letterbox. You can also follow us on Twitter at Splice Podcast. Let us know what you insert what you watch us watch. <laughs> <laughs> what your movie goals were and what dis- what did you discover <laughs> <laughs> why are you like <laughs> we'll see you soon <laughs> on another, another episode, episode of, of Spies Together, together.